Well, hello there, dear listener, and welcome to yet another episode of the Inforium, coming directly to you from Riverside. Not the city in California. No. The app on the internet. No. And yeah. I'm much more closer to actually Riverside than you. Wait, what? I'm close to rivers. Oh, I'm, I'm closer true. to being well, literally hey. Riverside. Uh, do you count creeks? That's Creekside. As rivers. That's liter- you literally I'm, I'm just Creekside. You just asked, do you count bears as dogs? That's <laughs> No, they're bears. Look, I was grasping at straws so I could prove you wrong, but in fact, you are not wrong because I know for a fact that you live quite close to it's a river true. and there are several rivers in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area and there's like two in the Denver area and they're not very we, big. We I don't even them. know if you would call them rivers. You kind of do. We don't have a whole lot of water. No. Uh, in fact, it's actually quite selfish of you to be hoarding all that water. Could you please send some over to Colorado? Please and thank you. Will do. Envelopes, <laughs> one at a time. Anyway, hello and welcome back to the Inforium. If you are a longtime listener who skipped the last episode, I do want to uh, give you all a quick reminder that this is our second to last episode. We're going to be wrapping up the podcast after this one, but fear not, because as we will discuss in this episode... Our conscious decision to end this podcast after literally eight years of running it Ooh. is in part enabling us to do other things, such as getting back to a true weekly schedule over on the Thomas Frank YouTube channel. And uh, as somebody who has now entered the 30s decade of life, I'm excited to be exploring different topical areas on that channel. I've got my investing video coming up very soon, be uh, diving into some more personal finance topics some other cool projects that I'm going to keep under wraps right now, but I'm very excited for the next direction that we're going in over on the main channel and uh, yeah, weekly videos. And as Martin, as my witness, that's going to be the schedule going forward. All right. Because you're the person who has the link to our B minder. It's true. I will in fact be a witness. Actually, you know what we could do if we wanted to be like super up on the accountability train, we could give out the link to the B minder Maybe. Maybe. You know what we'll do? I'll make the B-Minder goal public, and uh, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll do that. Now you can watch us that sink or swim. That way I don't have swim. to say a URL. You can watch us sink or swim, but yes, if you look at our B-Minder, which will be in the show notes, uh, the next video, as of today, as of the day we're recording this, is due in four days, eight hours, and zero minutes, or else I will be charged 270 bucks. And uh, that is set up by me because I respond well to deadlines, very well to deadlines. We got our last video out on time. So I'm excited to have some some real deadlines again, some real accountability. Yeah. And uh, that's pushing me, you know. And I think it's it's something that I probably should have had enabled for the last few years instead of doing that thing where I use a commitment device then get on a good schedule and then decide, oh, hey, I don't need that anymore. Yeah, that is one of the that. biggest downfalls of any attempt <laughs> to regulate anything is the second it starts working, mm-hmm. you're like, well, I guess I didn't need that. And then obviously. Yeah, it's like it's working for you. Oh, well, I didn't I didn't need that. The, the only reason it looks good is because it's working. And yeah, I guess like if you've outgrown it, then when you drop it, you will continue to do the thing that you were doing. Ideally. But if you stop doing that thing, that's an immediate illustration that, hey, you did need it. Yeah. You uh, have not. You should at least be very wary of it when you drop it. You should like give yourself a period (laughs) of time to reflect on whether it actually worked. 
Yes, indeed. So, dude, things are good right now, on, at least for the, for the channel. Like, we've published, like, four videos in the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't think we're going to be doing, like, two videos a week super consistently uh, unless we build a better machine for editing and researching and things like that. Don't want to get too spread thin, but we are back to weekly videos. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about launching Creators Companion, our big Notion template. And uh, yeah, those are going to be pretty much the things we have going on right now. Today, though, we're going to not focus so much on the specific things that we're doing, but we're going to do an episode analyzing and going through a really good book, which I did mention in the last episode for those of you who wanted me to assign you homework. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about Seth Godin's book called The Dip, which is all about quitting strategically. And I thought it'd be a great time to revisit this book because we are strategically deciding to quit this podcast. And uh, The Dip was actually kind of a, a push that I needed. I reread it recently and I was just kind of reminded of you know, why I need to actually listen to these thoughts in my head that, hey, I'm spread too thin. I'm doing too many things. And even though it sucks, the correct decision is to pare down the number of things I'm doing. Otherwise, the ones I truly care about will never get enough attention. Now, what what drew flourish. you to the book? Was it the idea that we were going to quit the podcast or is that a result of you going back to the book for other reasons? It was it was the it was the idea. And I don't think I had even brought it up to you. Um, but it was, or I guess we had like kind of talked we about mentioned it. it a while ago, but then, then we looked at the schedule and we were like, maybe we could go for, we liked, we like tabled that thought for a bit. Yeah, I guess. So there's, there's this, uh, approach that Cal Newport talks about in his book, deep work called the any benefit approach. He talks about it in terms of social media apps. When people are justifying whether or not to add another social media app to their, to their life. They think only in terms of the benefits it brings, not in terms of the trade-offs. So, hey, you know, I'm going to add TikTok because I'll be able to get followers there and I'll be able to see certain things there. And, uh, you know, I'm not even going to think about the fact that it's going to take more of my time during the day and fragment my attention even more. Well, I think with the podcast, like we had gotten to a point where there are other things we wanted to do, but we're like, well, you know, it only takes, it only takes like an hour or an hour and a half to record. Like, that's not too bad. Like we do have sponsors. It brings in income. So it's like thinking about the benefits only, but not thinking about the fact that it fragments our week. And I think, you know, something that you and I have both been struggling with, we've been running this podcast for eight years, in addition to running a media company. And the fact that the comp or the fact that the podcast is not a business podcast makes it quite difficult to have new and compelling things to talk about because that's sort of what our lives have become. Yeah. Like my average day is spent doing research for videos or working on the editing and production process for videos or working on some side projects like the big notion template we're doing and the thomas frank explains channel or you know working out <laughs> or, or leading a normal life hanging out with my fiance or hanging out with friends and you know after a while it's like there's not a whole lot of new life experiences for me to pull insights out of so the choice becomes do I go do a lot of huge dedicated research for podcast episodes that are more presentation-y or do I focus that time on videos? Yeah. Yeah. And we tried to bring a little bit of our personal lives in it with like the project check-in and everything, but like we, it started to become difficult to find what to put into the rest of it. And I don't just want to project check-in for like three hours every week. You know, it's a, and it yeah. got to the point where there was so much work to do that the projects couldn't really 
get anywhere. I've been sitting on like the same couple of songs now for mm-hmm. a little bit because every weekend I'm like, I want to finish this. This is the thing that I think I can do really well as an art project. And then I, I just can't do it because I'm, sp- I'm spread too thin as well. It's like, I'm always busy doing some other stuff. And here yep. we are. <clears throat> what this means though, is I- I'm not going to say there's no possibility that I will podcast in the future because it's not that I don't like podcasting. I do. And I love talking to you. Um, there are other reasons right now why I think it's why I think it's advantageous to to double down and focus on some of the things. But you know, who knows? Maybe a few years from now, there are experiences that we want to talk about, or there's a more focused podcast that seems yeah, like we find a do. new angle and we're like, we never even thought about mm-hmm. talking about that. That would maybe I like podcasting. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the issue with this show is it's like it's an outcropping of a show that was based on what College Info Geek was about. And that yeah. comes from a very past time of my life, you know, and I'm getting to the point where I would love to explore things on my main channel that aren't really focused entirely on productivity. And now one, one thing I realize is like running my main channel, there is a balance between what I want to do and what my audience wants. Um, so there's like a lot of programming decisions that go into serving the audience. You can't just pivot in like super hard one day and expect everyone to follow you. Hey guys, I'm a Pokemon card channel now. Yeah. Sorry if this isn't what you wanted, you know, so there's a balance, there's an aspect of balance there, but I do, I do understand, especially in talking to people and looking at my analytics and realizing that the, the biggest segment of my analytics now is the 25 to 34 segment, not the 18 to 24 segment. Oh boy. So that was actually interesting. Uh, looking at that, realizing like, Hey, there are things that I'm interested in that I believe my audience who was there for the productivity, the academic success, like they are more interested in these things now as well. They've kind of grown up with me and we're interested in how do you buy a house? How do you, you know, start investing these kind of things. So that's kind of where my excitement is right now. Uh, anyway, that's sort of the impetus for why I picked the book up again. Uh, another reason is we have a pool in my neighborhood and one of my favorite relaxing things to do is just to read a book like in the pool in in the water or I don't know like why. on the chair literally in the water this is a, is this a digital I discovered book this this is not a digital book so Daring. this is a thing i have i have dis, i have decided that i don't care if my books get a little bit wet and that is a decision that i've made for myself now who i, I don't know are, are there waterproof kindles maybe yes, i could do my that my kindle is waterproof you know, that would maybe be more... Oh, wait, my, my mic's covering it. It's right, it's right down there. It's waterproof. You Fun may fact. have actually just now convinced I got me it to so that uh, because I did not... We could stand up paddleboard and like Ashley could read on it while I drift okay, us down the Okay, that's river. actually pretty smart. We should also go stand up paddleboarding when I visit because I forgot about that. I oh, I haven't that. done it yet. That sounds fun. I need to learn to swim real fast. Well, time, wear a life jacket, my I dude. I don't want to put all of my life trust into basically a balloon with a belt how about a balloon plus the fact that i'm a very strong swimmer and would be right there i don't know i think you a might balloon plus you me. might like <laughs> you might like scar you know just like say something dramatic and then let me go if i was gonna scar you don't you think i would have done it a long time no, ago you would wait then again the i guess scar does moment. like that if is it's true. not dramatic what's is the point cool? is betrayal even useful if cool? you do it you're like Hey, by the way, you're betrayed. That's a dumb phone call. You got to do it somewhere cool. Okay, but riddle me this. Is it actually that cool of a moment if I'm holding you with your life jacket and then I like dramatically oh, let you yeah, go I and you're li- just, I just kind floating of floating down like 
five inches away uh, from where I let you go in the jacket. Like, what now? If we film that right, that's <laughs> a hilarious moment. So it, that actually pretty well, would be pretty like fake dramatic. Yeah, that'd be pretty great. Anyway, you may have just convinced me to get a Kindle because I did not consider the fact that they may be waterproof now. Yep. I had a Kindle a long time ago and it was it was long enough ago that the Kindle was slow and like turning pages was annoying. So I just decided I'm going to use the Kindle app on the iPad. I also like that I can highlight things with the Apple Pencil easily. But That's you know fair. what? I'm not bringing, bringing the iPad to the pool. fastest thing in the world, you know? And I mean, mine's still several years old now at this point, but it is waterproof. Well, it may be worth it. Uh, anyway, that beyond that, the Kindle yeah. debate, maybe that's a video I could do. Uh, I, I learned this in Hawaii and I would I would recommend like anybody, if you have the opportunity to try this, because when we were in Hawaii, we had a pool at the condo complex we were staying at through Airbnb. And at night, like after we'd have our little adventures during the day, we just go there in the evening. And I found that like, it's just really nice to like stand in the pool at the edge and just like read the book on the edge of the pool. I don't know. It's just very relaxing. No mosquitoes or anything? I don't know what that's like there. Ho- uh, Hawaii's climate is not very mosquito. No, no mosquitoes? And neither is Colorado's. So, you know, you, you're you the one who moved to mosquito territory. Well, Colorado's so got some. That. It just doesn't have enough water to put them everywhere. I'm surrounded. So. Though, I mean, look, you're going to get the same amount of mosquitoes if you're in a chair next to the pool. Yeah, that's fair. Actually, actually, when you get more, they won't go underwater to get you. The more of you that's underwater, the that's safer true. you are. Never mind. If you if you do the alligator strategy where you all your whole body, except for your eyes, yeah. are sticking out of the water. I never thought about that. Then you're not going to be able to read very well, but you could do that. Uh, anyway, so I was like, I want to I want to go to the pool. I want to read a book. I've been thinking about this. The dip's on my shelf. Pick it up and reread it in, in two hours. It's a super short book. So it's one of those books that does not need to be any longer than it is because it's really concerned with helping you answer one question. Should I quit something that I'm doing or should I stick it out? That's it. And there are kind of two sub questions there. Um, The first one is, can I be the best in the world at that thing? And, uh, the best in the world is something that he talks about in the book. It's kind of like a different definition than what you would think. Cause like best in the world, you would think it's one person or one company, but actually the world means if you have an audience or customer base or whoever it is, the world means whoever they can access right now with what they know. Yeah. Like the world is like who you're specifically competing with. Yeah. So if I'm like a web designer, and I specialize in websites for local businesses. Uh, and my customer is someone who wants to work with somebody locally, then they're not going to be looking for the best web designer in the world. They're going to be looking for the best web designer in the Denver, Colorado metro area. Like that's different. Or if I'm making, uh, I actually had an example of this that I wrote down. If I'm making like headphones, right? I don't necessarily need to have the best headphones. Maybe I just need to be making the best wireless noise canceling headphones that have the best call quality because there is someone in the world. There's an audience in the world who is looking for that specifically. Yeah. They don't care about the sound quality as much. They don't care about the comfort as much. They are like, I need to do calls and I need it to be noise canceling and wireless. Cool. If I can hit those boxes, then that's my world. And then the second question is, do I have the ability to push through what Godin calls the dip 
which is that period after the honeymoon period where you get into something and everything's you know novel and exciting and easy. It's that period that's like the slog where it feels like you're not making any progress. Everything's super hard. You don't know why you're doing what you're doing. It's super difficult. And what comes after the dip is actual mastery and the rewards that come with mastery. But most people quit during the dip. So number one, can I be the best in the world at this thing? Or, you know, near the best in the world. Can I be so good that I'm going to reap the rewards for that are kind of reserved for the people or companies, organizations that are at the top of the heap? And number two, do I have the ability to push through the dip to get there? And one thing that he talks about is like, it's, 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 a, it's kind of like a dichotomy. Most people do not put in the effort to push the dip, but also most people do not have the bravery to quit something strategically so they can refocus on something else. They'll quit when it's painful, but they won't quit strategically. And there's a couple of other curves that he talks about. Uh, one of them is the cliff, which I don't think we need to spend too much time on because it's like something where it gets steadily better as you do it until it falls off immediately at the end. And as his example is like smokers. Yeah, and that's, which you know. I've never smoked before. I have to imagine that it actually is probably like the best during the first, I don't know, a few months you do it. And then it's just sort of something you need. I would imagine it doesn't actually feel better on your 30th year of smoking than your first. <laughs> yeah. But he's certainly correct in that near the end of the smoker's life cycle, the quality of life and enjoyment you get from that is uh, very much just falls off a cliff and then you die. And then there's the cul-de-sac, which is something that I think a lot of us are stuck in with many of the things we do. And a cul-de-sac is just something where it's never going to get better. You're just kind of doing the same thing. Like any kind of dead end job with no opportunity for improvement is a cul-de-sac. And so the whole idea is get out of the cul-de-sacs, get out of the cliffs, stop smoking and get yourself into things where you know you can push through the dip and where you have some amount of confidence that the rewards at the end of the dip are worth it. So that's kind of what pushed me to think about this once again, like how many things am I doing? And given everything that I'm doing, do I have the resources to push through those dips in the things I really care about? And can I push through to the point where I can be the best in the world or, you know, best or number two, or at least be at a position where there are those outsized rewards. Yeah. Um, he has this great example of, uh, ice cream flavors. So, the most popular ice cream flavor in the world is, I'm sure you Obviously, know. Obviously. Because it's better. It's vanilla. <laughs> Wait, you're looking so smug. That's because Ashley argues with me all the else? time about how chocolate is way better. And then I tell her vanilla is way more popular and she gets mad. So it made me think of that. Uh, I use this book as okay, an example so yes. to shut down her ice cream arguments. <laughs> Seth Godin said Shutting you're wrong. My fiance with Seth Godin. Uh, I mean, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the best flavor because the best flavor is Hagen Dots coffee chip. That's clearly. that is very specific. <laughs> it, it is my favorite flavor of ice cream. But yes, you're right. Vanilla is the most popular flavor of ice cream in the world. And the second most popular is chocolate. But, you know, when I say that, you might think, OK, so vanilla is the most popular and chocolate's kind of like right underneath it. That's not the case. Vanilla has 30 percent market share. Chocolate has nine percent. 
Yeah. The yeah. next one, which I was surprised. The next one is apparently Butter Pecan. That one threw me off. Yeah. I, as the third most popular. I did not think that Strawberry wouldn't be third, but obviously that's my bias. But Butter Pecan, that's like, it seems I would specific have thought to of me. Chocolate Chip or chocolate Cookie chip, Dough. Cookie, cookie Dough would have been or, a good one. You know? So, but you know, that's like 6% for that one. So this is what's called a ZIPF distribution, Z-I-P-F. Oh, yeah. Or ZIPF's law. Where whenever you have a distribution of things, you usually have the first place taking the lion's share, and then the very next one is massively smaller. And then there's this long tail. And there's a lot of like interesting insights that we could talk about from the long tail. Um, I'm re- I was reading this article on Wired from 2004, so quite a while ago, on this idea of the long tail. One of the interesting insights was um, on Amazon, and again, this is 2004 numbers, so they said the average Barnes and Noble has 130,000 books. And uh, on Amazon, the the books that are outside of its top 130,000 sellers, more than half of their book revenue comes from those books, the ones that are outside the top 130,000. So like this long tail, you know, individual items within it are not selling super well, but there are so many of them and there are so many micro niches that you know, you can't just say like, oh, everyone wants these top most popular things. I guess the the uh, the whole conclusion there is there are so many different interests now. There are so many different types of buyers that there is a market for all of these millions of books and yeah. added up in aggregate, they end up being more than half of their overall sales. I don't know what that looks like today because that article is coming up on 20 years old, which is a little bit scary. Um but what I, what I think is is useful to think about is uh, when we talk about the long tail for the platform, like for Amazon, the aggregate benefit of having all those long tail options is very useful. But for individual authors who are stuck in that long tail, you're not getting much. So if you want to make a living as an author, then you want to focus on being in that top 130,000 or ideally top 1,000, top 100 right? Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of the whole idea with like zip distribution there. You want to be at the top of the zip distribution because the lion's share of rewards are available there. And people who are in second place or third place in many cases don't really get much. Um, and this wasn't talked about in the book, but there's a really, really good article. that's sort of kind of barking up the same tree that I would recommend people go read. Uh, Cal Newport wrote it for Tim Ferriss's blog like 10 years ago, it's called, um, I think it's called hacking the superstar effect. And he was talking about opera singers. So there's this, this opera singer he talks about who in 2008, uh, nailed every super high note of this incredibly difficult piece that's thought of as the, uh, the Mount Everest of opera. I've got the name of it in here somewhere, but I'm terrible with Italian and or French. It's called La Fille, La Fille du, du Regiment. <laughs> I'm terrible at, hmm. at whatever language that is. Um, there's these like nine high C notes at a certain point in the in the piece, and it's apparently super difficult to hit them. So hitting them all perfectly kind of makes you like a top opera performer. So this guy, you know, he's making five figures per performance. Pretty respectable, but he's not like super wealthy. And then you have Pavarotti who also hit all nine C notes when he was doing this performance in uh, 1972 is when he was talking about it. But critics had noted there's like something extra in this guy's voice that just raises him just ever so slightly above every other opera singer out there. So he's the best, but only by a little bit. 
And yet when he died, his estate was valued between 275 to 475 million dollars. It's a bit higher. And you know, and it kind of makes sense because he's only slightly better than the next player in the game, but when people are like I've got $10, I want to go buy a CD, they can't buy both. So they pick the best one. So lion's share of the rewards go to the best possible option because people it's a it's a kind of a zero sum game in that regard. People only have a certain amount of resources to spend on this thing. So they're going to go with whoever's best. Yeah. They're not looking for, give me the second best guy. And if they're picking the second best guy, it's either because, you know, it's, it's the people who had enough money to go buy another one, or maybe they're looking for something different. And in that case, the difference creates a new market for someone to be the best, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If they're a different price point or something like that. But I mean, this is something Mm -hmm. that we've already experienced so many times. I know we've talked about the tendency we've developed that I'm sure is very common to when you're like, I want a blender or something to like go online and try to, what's the very best blender in the world that I like, mm-hmm. you, you don't think what's the casual $20 blender that would do the job adequately. If you're, you start out thinking what's the coolest thing. Usually you get negotiated down to the other ones via price or something or convenience, but yeah. Well, I mean, that's an interesting uh, thing to talk about because best can mean several different things. If we're talking about a blender, well, for me, I'm not the kind of person who wants to go do a ton of research and something I value uh, for better or for worse is being able to get what I want now. Yeah. So if I want a blender, I'm probably going to go to target and buy a and blender. Like, That's good enough. Yeah. Which I, th- this actually isn't a good example because I think I had heard offhand somewhere that uh, Vitamix blenders were just so much better than every other blender. You can get that at Target. Maybe, maybe in, okay. Oh, That's you? where I got mine. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. I bought a Vitamix and it's like a $300 blender, but it's going to last me my whole life. And I broke my Nutribullet after a few months. So that's yeah. why I bought it. <laughs> but you know, for, for the, for the market segment who are like, I'm, I'm willing to put in the research. I'm willing to wait for shipping. There's always that specialty market where it's going to be way more expensive, but it caters to that enthusiast audience. So if you're a blender manufacturer, you kind of have to decide which direction do we go in? Do we go for mass market appeal? Do we go for building something that's going to, you know, sell well enough that uh, Target and Walmart can justify keeping it on their shelves? Or do we build the Rolls Royce of blenders that costs $2,000? Yeah. And you know, we are the best for those people who are like, I want the literal best blender. I don't care about price. I don't care about shipping time. Just give it to me. You kind of have to know, like, what are you, what are you going for there? Yeah. Cause it's like, if so, you're marketing toward college students, obviously that blender is not even close to your competition. You're looking at the $20 one the smoothie that yep. makes a smoothie in its own bottle. That's like also at target different audience entirely. Mm-hmm. They would never, it would be weird to be considering both of them because of how different the price and quality points are for most people. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something that's useful when considering both whether to get into something new, uh, if you're seriously trying to reap rewards out of it, uh, but also deciding whether or not to stick with something that you're already doing is asking yourself like, what, what am I going for in terms of being the best? And can I define the market for that. I don't think you always have to do this. Um, 
you know, we've, I think we've talked a little bit about the book range before by David Epstein. Is it David Epstein? Yeah, I think I don't think I've read it, but you've definitely mentioned it. it. The whole thesis of that book is that, uh, people who are experts in, um, I think what he calls, I forget the, the differentiating term that he uses, but it's essentially like chaotic fields and, uh, and, and organized fields. So like chess is organized because you get perfect feedback. You can see every possible move. There's no hidden information. Poker is chaotic. Tennis is chaotic. Uh, you know, golf is pretty organized. You've got some factors like wind, but for the most part, it's super deliberate. Nobody is forcing you to take your shot at any point in time. You get immediate feedback and you're like, cool. Literally everything that happened with that shot was my input other than maybe wind. So uh, the thesis is that for these chaotic fields like tennis or poker or most things in life, the people who are the best actually went through an exploratory period where they tried many things and then eventually, you know, gravitated to the thing that they got really good at and then were able to bring in all these disparate skills from their past pursuits, which made them really uh, well-rounded and made them creative and made them more adapted to dealing with the limited information, hidden information, lack of feedback sometimes. That's the whole thesis of that book. So what I take from that is if you are just getting into something like, say, uh, making YouTube videos, making content, making music, I don't think it's useful to tell somebody who's like just beginning in those areas, you need to figure out a niche right now and you need to figure out, can you be the best in the world at it? Because right now you're in an exploratory phase. So, okay, me being the best is, I want to be the best at exploring and who, who defines that me. That's cool. But once you get past that, if you're like now trying to build something for a specific audience, now you have to ask yourself, well, who's the audience I'm building for? And do I believe I can be the best in the world in their world, or at least close enough to the best that I would reap significant rewards. So the questions you have to ask yourself are, well, who's already there? Is there a way I can differentiate myself and be best in a new market that's worthwhile? And do I have the resources to push through the dip? Which would be time, which would be money, uh, other resources. Motivation. And these are questions that, uh, motivation, yeah. yeah, that could be, do you, yeah, like, uh, could I be the next Olympic ice skater? I don't think so because um, I'm 30. I like literally don't have the body required anymore <laughs> yeah there are that. definitely some skills that have kind of a hard limit more or less mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean i shouldn't ice skate it just means like that shouldn't be my goal that shouldn't be the dip i'm trying to push through if if that's what i want i will never get through the dip because yeah i can feel my knees like that's just not gonna happen even if you manage so, to somehow it would probably require sacrificing every other thing for the rest of your life, which is a steep ask. Oh, I thought you said sacrificing switches. Like, Oh no, just no every, more Nintendo. Switches. Every other, every other thing you ever wanted to do, you'd probably have to sacrifice <laughs> and you still probably wouldn't do it. So it would be a bad competition. You'd be choosing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm not going to do that. Um, I've been playing tennis recently. I'm not going to set a goal of becoming like a Wimbledon champion or anything. I would like to, I would like to be able to play against my friend, Devin, the legal Eagle. And, uh, I don't even know if I want to be able to beat him. I want to be able to play a game in which he has fun. 
That's my goal right now. And I 100% believe that I could do that. I can get lessons. I can practice every day. And I believe I can get to a level where even though I know Devin already plays every day, he's been playing for years. I believe I can get to a level where he'll have fun playing against me. That's what I want. Reasonable. So, and I believe that I can push through the dip. Why? Because I've got time. There's a tennis court pretty close to my house. There's a tennis facility. It's like a six mile bike ride from my house where I can get lessons. I have enough money. Cool. There is the deliberation. And it also requires, or it also fills my exercise requirement of the day. Now, what it does mean is I think I have to quit some other things. Like I probably need to give up on my aspirations to be ice skating regularly again. I don't think I'm going to be climbing very often. Like there's only so many hours in the day. Most of them are filled up with work or sleep or eating or whatever. I've only got a few hours where I could actually do any sort of physical activity. And uh, weightlifting is a big part of my life, so I'm not going to quit that. And if I want to add tennis in, that means I can't really do a ton of other things. You probably couldn't. Even if you had the time, there's also a limit to how many hours of each day you should probably spend like straining your body. You, you need to rest at some point. Yeah, I don't feel that I'm even close to that level. Oh, I'm, I'm sure not. That, but if you go ahead and spend 10 hours a day doing strenuous physical activities, you, yes. <laughs> you're not even going to be gaining muscle at some point. You're just going to fall apart. Yeah, I would be, I would be overtraining. Uh, you know, my hour workout in the gym and an hour of tennis, I think I could easily put in two more hours and not even they could become getting close to a point where I'd injure myself. So that's not a thing where I'm considering like, oh, am I, am I overtraining myself? But, uh, I do realize that there's just only so many hours that I can dedicate to things that are not my job during a day. So it means I need to consciously admit to myself, Hey, you're not skating right now. You're not skateboarding probably not doing that much downhill mountain biking right now. If you want to do this, you got to do it. Yeah. So what, like you went through the book again. Do you have anything in your life where you're feeling like you have to make this kind of decision as well? Besides the podcast. Beside the podcast, I would say that I'm more trying to focus on what specific things are likely that I should I should try pushing through them. Like I've been trying to focus where my art is going, what kind of music, what kind of photography and pixel art, and how am I going to make that so that I'm not just, I'm trying to basically synergize my art forms into a singular mm-hmm. direction that I think is exciting and that I think I could do something that feels like it matters in. But I am having to feel like actually some aspects of these. So like, um, I'm, I'm trying to focus a lot more on going out and exploring now that I'm in the state that I've been wanting to explore and I can do these things and I've been vaccinated and whatnot. So I'm trying to focus more on that in my art, which means that random pixel animations that have nothing to do with anything aren't as exciting to me as a pixel art that I stick into one of my nature photos. One of them lines up with my goal of exploration and one of them doesn't really have anything to do with anything. And I'm probably yeah. not going to be... I don't think I'm going to be the greatest pixel artist ever. And there are so many incredibly talented people out there that I can't even come close. So I want to do it with my unique spin, sticking it in my nature photos. The same applies to my Mm -hmm. music and my photography. You know, I used to do macro photos of like just textures. Like I had a, a pair of jeans that I took a photo of that was really interesting with the macro 
I've taken photos of other indoor things. That doesn't line up either. It doesn't really seem like that's a worthy pursuit of my time. Mm-hmm. So, but, but also I don't just want to do nothing but landscape photography because again, I don't think I can compete in that. I think that yeah. if I don't put my unique mix of these skills together, I'm basically choosing three separate areas of competition I can't touch. But if I bring them together yeah. now, not only does it feel more like me, I don't think I'm wasting my time as much. Mm-hmm. And that actually kind of lines up with something I've been thinking about with my video work. Because you, so you're saying you're, you're still going to do photography, but there's just a more limited, narrow vision of what you want to accomplish instead of doing all of these different types and this mixed yeah. media thing as well. Yeah. If you look at my Instagram grid right now, the last nine are a fairly good representation of what I want to be doing. They all seem to, mm-hmm. to represent the idea that I like to go explore nature and I like to play games where you explore. I like to, yep. it, things like uh, Fez or Breath of the Wild where I'm in a world that really fascinates me. This is also why I read a ton of fiction and fantasy and those things interest me. Mm-hmm. That all comes together, but separately, I will never be the greatest photographer of any kind. I can't. Yep. It's impossible. There's too much competition in every direction. I'm certainly not going to be the greatest digital musician or pianist or pixel artist. None of those things combined. However, I think I have a unique perspective that's interesting. There's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's so weird how niching something down properly really changes whether I feel like I can do anything worthwhile. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of college as well. Uh, we both majored in the same thing. So tell me if you felt the same way when I was early on in college, I was interested in and wanted to practice like all of these different areas of technology. And in my brain at the time I was like, well, I'm an MIS major. So this all fits what I'm doing. And that includes like programming and it breaks down to, I wanted to learn server side programming, but also I wanted to learn front end web design and I wanted to learn how to, you know, install open source router software on my router and understand all like the crazy networking things. And I wanted to understand databases and like, there's all these different things. But just like with your photography, you can't be great at all these things. And you won't even be great at one if you're trying to do them all all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, our friend my Joel Linux kernel once. All- that's a terrible use of I my didn't time do that. now. <laughs> terrible use of my yeah, time. Yeah, like our friend Joel spent pretty much all of college programming. And so he came out of college as an insanely talented programmer. And yeah. I think like uh I think he got like the highest paying job out of all our friends right out of college. That seems accurate to me. Insane skills skill set. And they were like, Yep, we're hiring you for this crazy thing that pr- we probably wouldn't hire most fresh out of college kids to do because that's pretty much what Joel did programmed all the time. And meanwhile, I'm over here like, I want to spend some time on routers today and I'm going to spend some time on Java right now. And today I'll do PHP and all these kind of different things like exploring, exploring, exploring. That's fine if my goal is to explore. But if I'm trying to become great at one thing, then all these other things are just needless diversification. Uh, he even talks about like this lie of diversification in the book. And my, my favorite image was when he talked about the woodpecker. Like a woodpecker knows if it pecks one tree a hundred times, it will get dinner. If it pecks a hundred trees one time, it will starve. Yeah, it lines up so well with like essentialism too, which is actually, Mm -hmm. so I thought of this the last time I listened to this because I I, I re-listened to this book 
couple weeks ago and then again today because it's only like 90 minutes like you could uh all, all y'all listeners could easily intake this book in, in audiobook format very quickly but i actually have yeah, sticky notes careful, on my wall i have sticky notes on my wall where one of them has the essentialism diagram with like the little sun arrows and then the one with the big arrow and then another one that has mm-hmm. like the dip compared to my drawing of a cul-de-sac idea just so that i mm-hmm. remember each day is what you're doing contributing to something or am i am i getting stuck again because i'll get stuck literally like 2 days ago i hit a i hit maybe something like the dip with my i was running out of I feel like I've taken forever to put my next art out. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. okay, what if I just did, what if I just did like a pixel art with like a solid background and simple, maybe I could get it out. Today, I realized, wait, if I, if the whole point is I'm trying to combine these things to do the exploration nature combined with digital art thing that, that speaks to me, what exactly is regular pixel art on a solid background going to accomplish if I don't have a really good reason for it? Like, mm-hmm. like, uh, mm-hmm simplifying and genericizing my art for the sake of getting it out. That's a terrible idea. Okay. I'll just wait a little longer. I almost fell right for it. I didn't want to go through the dip. So I was going to jump off into some easy answer that wouldn't do anything for me. Yeah. And actually that's, that's a good segue into another part of the book that I want to talk about, which is, um, knowing what conditions will cause you to quit. So he talks about how the, like, on one hand, people are often not brave enough to quit because they feel like they're going to be judged for it. There's that whole, like, you know, winners never quit, quitters never win kind of thing. Yeah. So we're all sort of brought up with that. But on, on the flip side, people quit things all the time. It's just that they quit them for the wrong reasons. And usually they quit them because they become painful. So like, that would be an example of like, oh, you know, quitting because it's painful or I don't feel like working out today. I'm going to quit because it's painful. And my favorite, my favorite insight from that was when we talked about how ultra marathoners, and I think there was like one specific ultra marathoner, I forget the guy's name, but he talked about how before the race would start, he would decide in advance what conditions would cause him to drop out of the race and quit. So that way, if you're at mile 19 or something, and you're like, oh, my feet really hurt. I feel like tired. I feel like quitting. That's not one of the things you had pre-committed to quitting or whether it would cause you to quit. So you don't let it cause you to quit. And if you don't have those conditions set up in advance, then you're more susceptible to allowing the in-the-moment pain to cause you to quit. Now, look, look, if you're like, if your leg falls off for some reason during a marathon, then yeah, you should probably quit. But yeah. if you're, you get the stitch in your side and you're out of breath and your feet hurt, it's not a good reason to quit. So if we pre-commit to the things that would cause us to quit, then we can easily uh, be in the moment, embrace the pain, and realize, hey, that's not one of the things I told myself that I would quit because of. So I'm not going to. It just kind of lets us push past that I don't feel like it feeling. Yeah. Yeah, that way, like, panicked, struggling you isn't in control. Mm-hmm. And I sort of had that feeling, actually, last week. Because we, uh, you know, we, I was like, Hey, I think we can get this video edited in a day. It was like in terms of production, pretty simple video. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you were watching the B minder, but like the video wasn't out until late that night. I was uh, in touch with Tony. I was aware. 
Okay. Because, yeah, so, like, I, I watched the cut Friday morning, and I'm like, oh, there are some things that need to change. Like, this video is, it's too long. It's a little padded. Like, there's some stuff we need to fix here. And there's this part of my brain that's like, well, I really wish I just had another day. I'm sure there's yeah, some oh, way. Oh, I no, just, you like, never should have agreed out to of weekly. I should have never agree to this. Uh, you know, but I, like, I'm tired of breaking my weekly schedule. I'm tired of it. I've been doing it for, for years. I don't want to quit for that reason. And I pre-committed not just in my head, but I literally pre-committed by setting up that, that commitment device. So in an even more powerful way, Yeah. if I wanted to quit, then I would have to give up, uh, currently $270 is the bet. I could even change it. I haven't done this cause well, probably just cause I'm scared, but I could literally, I thought about like increasing it to $10,000. <laughs> just like <laughs> fail to put a video out, fail to do what you said and lose 10 grand. That's like a Mr. Beast video right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh. I haven't intense. done it. I could do it. Maybe I could. I mean, maybe that's what happens bucks, if you fail no, this one. If I fail this one, it'll go up to 810. I think it, I think it roughly triples every no, time. No, I mean, you could just, you could make it more than triples. You could say, this is it. There's one safety barrier. And if I break it, it jumps straight to horrible. You know what? I'm going to increase the pledge to 810 right now. Boom. There it is. That actually feels a lot more substantial. Like 270 bucks is, that's a lot of money, but 810 is like, ugh, that's almost a thousand bucks. Yeah. You could do cool there stuff. There it is. You could do cool stuff with that. Further that commitment. Be- but you know, I don't care about clicking that button because I'm going to get my video out on time. Yeah. And we got it out on time. Like we had planned to have it out Friday morning, but we had to do some edits. So we buckled down, got it done. It sucked, but we did it. You've decided in advance, almost nothing will stop this. 9 p.m. Yep. You, you're probably going to need to be in the hospital, at which point we could probably contact B-Minder and say, Tom's dying. So like we need that money for the I hospital. Also, just <laughs> well they have a button called uh weasel proofing and so if there is an accident or if i fail it they are going to require like a doctor's note or we'll get you a, a selfie witness. from the hospital bed i think hospital bed selfie would probably be fine they would probably accept that i'm sure they don't want to be like oh hey we're taking away the money this guy needs to pay for his hospital yeah. bills <laughs> but yeah, like I set that up because I don't want the in the moment pain to cause me to quit. I think that's like the the main idea of the book is quitting. You should do it because it is a strategic decision that is valuable sometimes, but it should always be for a strategic reason, not because oh it hurts. I don't like this. I'm tired. Yeah, you know I don't feel like it, which is obviously like the instinct that drives a lot of us through a lot of our decisions, if we don't pay attention Mm -hmm. to it, it's difficult. And, uh, I've been talking to Ashley about this because it's, I don't remember why it came up, but I try to be careful with any time I find a new simple solution to a problem, because usually any solution I pick for a new problem that I've decided exists is now the solution I will pick forever. Unless something stops me from picking it. The second I've decided, Hey, an easy route, like that's the default route for the rest of my life. If I don't, if I don't have a reason. So I'm careful like about you have an example. Well, for me, some of it relates to OCD and it's like, Hey, I've decided I'm going to clean this way, but mm-hmm. it could be as simple as, um, so I've been taking the stairs. I don't, I don't want to take the elevator in general, 
But I know that mm-hmm. if I start taking, if I take the elevator like twice, it'll break the stair thing and I will just take You'll the just elevator forever. Like as soon as you've established a low friction solution to a problem, you should kind of just assume that unless something stops you and makes you think about it, you will keep solving the problem that way. If I decide every day, I don't want to make my own protein drinks. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go down to the smoothie place. I'm going to buy a smoothie for however many dollars that like $8 big old smoothie. I should Mm -hmm. assume that since I'm busy all the time, that is now my permanent solution if I don't stop myself. So I should, I should question it. it. Am I comfortable realizing I'll probably be too busy to consider an alternate to this and then doing this for like two months? Because that's what will happen. Yeah, I guess like, and you know, I don't think that going to the smoothie store is necessarily a bad decision. Oh, but you it's do much have to higher sugar than I want. Versus, and I oh, is it? Yeah, it's much higher sugar than go. I want. And I, I like maybe today I will do it, but I know that if I then solve it that way tomorrow, and especially a third day, now it's there, it's done. Mm. I had fast food for like eight days in a row, one time, not too long ago, because Ashley was gone. Yeah, and every day I was like. I'm not ready to clean the kitchen. You know what's easier than that? Ordering food in. And now, until <laughs> a big burst of energy to clean it over a weekend before she got back, I did not eat anything reasonable because the default solution is the easy one because I don't want to put thought into that. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm glad Ashley's back now. Yeah, maybe I won't die now. <laughs> So yeah, like that, that's the general idea is, you know, don't, don't let pain, don't let convenience, don't let the ease be the thing that causes you to quit. Let strategy cause you to quit. Have a reason for it, but be willing to do it. Um, in fact, this was, this was like a very prominent thing for you a few years ago where you had had these goals before your injury in college like learning all these languages and doing oh, yeah. 500. You know what? I forgot book. about that. That's how much I consider that quit. Yeah. And so that was like, that was a big thing. I remember you were beating yourself up all the time. Like this was what I was supposed to be. It was supposed to be this polyglot. Yeah, my identity was wrapped up in it and it was painful to disconnect. Mm-hmm. And the thing you realize is cool. Well, my, my situation has changed because I've gone through this injury I can't spend all day typing on my computer. Literally, the circumstances are now different. So there is a there is a situation where you now need to make a, a strategic decision. Can I push through this dip? Now I can't. Yeah, that's actually if someone a goes point. and steals all of my money tomorrow, then there are going to be some dips that I can no longer push through <laughs> because my situation will have changed. Yeah, you know, or more realistically, like if at some point I have to go take care of a family member, that's going to eat into my time. And that means there are going to be some dips I can no longer push through. Circumstances change. And you know, when we have systems of values, we end up put into situations where we can no longer do things and we have to strategically quit. Yeah. That language one was really hard. Mm -hmm. I actually even cut back more on that in recent times, just because I've realized I, I flirted with the idea of getting back involved in like the polyglot community and making some site and doing some things. And now I'm just, I, you know, I looked into it a little bit. Everybody out there is way too motivated for me. They're way more into this than I am at this point. <laughs> I now have to be honest with myself. I have, I have nothing for that. I want to keep studying the languages I like casually, 
but th- there are people that are out there like, what 12 languages do you study in this year? I'm just like, I can't, I, I clearly don't belong in this community <laughs> anymore. I have nothing to yeah. offer. I'm not excited about this anymore. And I have to, mm-hmm. it hurts. Anything you put in your social media bio for me, it feels bad to take it back out. Yeah. So I'm careful about that, but I took it out. I'm, I'm not even showing off the languages now. Mm-hmm. Well, I've realized this for certain aspects of my work as well. Like uh, 2020, you know, I, I'm very proud of the work we put out in 2020. I think the videos on the channel were amazing. But, you know, I went through a phase where I was super into going out and filming tons of like super slick B-roll and stuff. And right now, that's not where my heart is. I am, you know, I'm really excited about building this this Notion template. I'm essentially doing software development in a, in a light-esque way. Um I'm, you know, having fun doing research and I realize that the value that I can offer my channel is in the teaching, but there is always this part of me who's like, well, Nathaniel Drew and Matt Diavella are all out there filming this crazy B-roll and like, that's what I should be too, because I, I don't know, humans are categorization machines and I see myself as like in that category, should be doing that kind of work. And I have to stop myself and realize like, okay, no, this is number one, I'm not traveling all the time. Like Nathaniel's whole passion is travel. He's always going places that naturally affords him the ability to take all this amazing footage in all these cool cities. I'm not going to force myself to go do that just because there's this like weird feeling that I should do that because I'm in this group. So I have to strategically say, all right, what are the things that I myself can push through, have the motivation to push through and you know, that would deliver something that I want to achieve. It ain't going around and filming 120 frame per second b-roll of spanish villa towers villa towers yeah yeah nathaniel can do that he's the best and and then at that point you'd just be trying to play catch up with somebody who's already doing that Mm -hmm. which is not not a great way to pick competition unless you have a way to just blow them out of the water yep but what do i like well i like building stuff in notion i like explaining things in notion can I be the best in the world at that? Yes, I can. I know I can be the best in the world at that. Especially if it's like for people who want to use it as a creator. I think I'm uniquely positioned to do that. Yeah. Willing to put in the work? So I will. So again, this is a short book. I think people should go read it or listen to it. It's a worthwhile read. Uh, and it's, it's so short that I... You know, I could see like reading it once a year as a reminder, like, you know, yeah. do I actually need to keep doing what I'm doing? I've now read it once and um, listened twice. It's definitely accessible. Well, there you go. We have some cult member questions. So I'm going to go into our new crazy notion template that runs our whole business. And let's see here. Ready to record the dip? Because I was looking at my notes for the video version of this topic since I am going to do a video on it as well. Uh, we do have a couple of cult member questions. The first one is how can I set up a system that forces me to take breaks and get back to work? I currently use forest, which is an iPhone and Android app, Great app or the Pomodoro technique to get started. But I usually either don't take a small break or I take a two hour one instead. Well, my first suggestion here is, are you asking the right question? Because I don't think everyone in the world needs small breaks all the time. Like one thing that we've talked about when it comes to productivity a million times is that it's a very individual thing. 
And it depends on who you are. It depends on what you're doing. It depends on how you feel the given day. But some people are just built to sit down and work for a ton of time and then go take a longer break. Yeah. Like personally, I never take the break. If I do set a 25 minute timer for a Pomodoro session, I never take the five minute break. Because the point of it for me is I'm feeling resistance to this task right now. So I'm going to reframe it from do whatever it is, like write a video script or prep for the podcast to spend 25 minutes writing a video script to prep for the podcast. That is what my brain needs in the moment when I'm feeling resistance. But then, you know, 15 minutes in, I'm still telling myself, you don't got to do this for 10 more minutes. And then at a certain point, it clicks where now I'm into the flow state. Now I'm like, okay, now I'm doing this. It was literally like this morning. I was just supposed to be outlining the dip and taking notes for it. <laughs> uh, and I wanted to have like a better outline because I'm making a, a more well-researched, put together video on it as well. And I'm just sitting there like, um, I want to do this, but I'm really curious about like this speaker system I'm looking at. So I'm going to go look at a review real quick and, you know, slowly but surely the time is ticking by. And I'm like, you know what? This this is stupid. I'm literally just going to set a timer. I'm going to do it. And then 15 minutes into it, I'm in it. Now I have no desire to go look at stupid speaker reviews. I'm just doing it. And I worked for well over 25 minutes. So I wouldn't worry too much about when to take the small break. You know, take it when you feel like your focus has sort of run out. Yeah. And the Forest app, uh, I've used it this year a few times. It has a stopwatch mode now, which I like better because it doesn't arbitrarily cut off the alarm, it just keeps on going up to like a max of two or three hours, at which point mm -hmm. I'm usually mentally exhausted anyway. So if I hit that number, then sure, I'll take a break. But yeah, I, yeah. I've definitely had a better experience when I get into something, work on it for a while, and then I do go take like a two hour break and I just don't feel bad about it. I used to do that at my previous yep. job. I'd take a long lunch, go for a walk forever. That's way mm -hmm. better for me than constant interruption given the work that I'm doing. And then, you know, getting back into it, the thing that works best for me is having a real deadline because then my brain can extrapolate pretty well. And I'm like, cool, I know what I need to do and I need to be doing it to meet this deadline. I don't worry so much about trying to find a system that will force me to sit down, you know, take a 10 minute break and then come back and sit down at 2.47 PM or else. I've never worried about that. I just known I have deadlines. So I'll take breaks, but like, I've got to come back and work. I know what I need to do. Yeah. I don't know if there's like a fancy hack here. The only thing I could really think of that would work without being like overly complicated would be just getting a, a partner to work with study buddy. Um, what's that system that, that ransom uses? There's an app that it uh, randomly no. pairs you up with somebody what you're talking about. Yeah. I can't think of what the name of it is right name. now. Uh, we can ask him later. There, there's an, let's see here. Yeah. I mean, I guess in the past I've used alarms to make me take breaks, but that was back when my hands didn't work very well. I had uh, programmed, ironically, uh, a little mm -hmm. shell script that like every 40 minutes or so it would like pop up something on my computer at work to tell me to go take a break because I had to. But other than an alarm, I mean, I haven't used anything yeah. really more sophisticated than that. And I really can't think of this. I really can't think of the name of it. Ugh. We can ask Ransom. He uses it. There's an app that will literally pair you with somebody to do like a Pomodoro session. Um, and I don't know how it works, but I imagine there's breaks built in and you would probably have to come back. So you could do that. You could have an actual study buddy. 
hire a drill instructor to yell at you. Yeah. Remember when uh, Manish Stacy, this was a while ago, but he literally hired a woman off of Craigslist to sit with him in a coffee shop and smack him in the face if he got distracted. <laughs> and I think that was, this is probably like uh, a sort of publicity stunt kind of thing. I'm sure that he had the idea for the Pavlov bracelet before this and then kind of used it as an interesting publicity thing. But I think the story goes, he did that. And then he was like, well, what if I had like this bracelet that shocks you if you don't do what you're supposed to do? I don't know. It's, uh, it's uh, either or. Some people just like to be slapped in the face. You know, I'm no judgment. That I mean, that's true. That's, that's what gets common, you to work actually. hard. <laughs> anyway, the biggest thing for me is, you know, have a real deadline, figure out how to give yourself a real deadline. And once you've got it, I think your brain's going to figure out like, I know when I need to get back to work. Um, and if, if you're having trouble with it, then find a way to slice your task up into smaller tasks and get real deadlines for that. So for example, I have the B minder set up for the publishing schedule. And if we get to the point where it's like, that is, you know, we're, we're not doing anything in the first few days of the week. And then we're just going crazy last few days of the week. Then I need to figure out some sort of system for like, okay, I turn in the script. Yeah. to Martin or something like that. Or I have a system for turning in the script on, you know, a week in advance. So we film on Monday and we have four days for editing, which sounds like a pretty solid idea. That, now that sounds I pretty solid. <laughs> uh, and it occurs to me that I have one script in development right now. And then Ransom wrote a great article that we could turn into a script. So we probably got two we could do right now, get ahead by week. And there's the system. Bada bing, bada boom, Bob's your uncle. Next cult member question. What are your favorite activities to do alone that don't involve either work or just video games or books? Hmm. Cycling, making music. Um, right now, I mean, mostly if I play tennis, I'm playing with Tony, but I have been going to the court whenever he's not available and just like hitting serves as well. Fair. If you did a racquetball court, not- you could do that alone even better. Oh my gosh, I do have a racquetball court. Yeah, I used to love that in college. I would love to get like, yeah, because the tennis court, it's all chain link, so it won't bounce back at me. Yeah, just do racquetball. Well, one thing is there's a tennis facility. There's a tennis facility that I just signed up for, and um, I'm getting a lesson on, well, tomorrow, but there's also a ball machine that will just Mm. shoot tennis balls at you so you can hit them back. So I may be going there to train. Uh, and speaking of training, I, I like, I kind of like weightlifting now, which is funny because I never really nerd. enjoyed it. Weightlifting nerd. I've been doing it so consistently because of my coach, you know, keeping me accountable that I've seen these, I've seen so much progress that I'm now excited about it. Um, and I'm, I'm going to make a video about this, but I just hit my thousand pound powerlifting total. So that's a between bench squat and deadlift have a th- having a thousand pounds lifting total on one rep max. And it was such a good feeling finally hitting that. It, it is, it's something that's been in my head since high school, but I was never able to be consistent enough to hit it or get even close. So now I can do it and I'm like, well, dang, how far can I take this? Nice. You know, I don't think I'm going to become like a crazy power lifter. One thing I remember my dad telling me is like, unless you really, really want to compete, like there's a point at which the weights you're training with are just going to, slowly injure you over time 
Um, and that, that comes from his life experience. So I don't think I'm going to yeah. be like shooting for a 700 pound deadlift, but you know, I would be happy with like a 500 pound deadlift, 400 pound squat, 400 pound bench. seems like a decent next goal. What's that at 1300 pound total? Yeah, there we go. Do that. So yeah, that's kind of what I do right now. I mean, I do still play video games and read books too. Yeah. Um, Obviously, I've already mentioned photography, pixel art, and piano, and uh, digital music and such. I've also enjoyed block carving to throw one mm-hmm. uh, out of left field here. I like that block like, carving. Like whittling? You, you get, like with wood? I've done it with wood and with these little linoleum blocks you can get it at a craft store or these little rubber blocks for beginners. And then you okay. get this carving you like scoop out the material with sort of a curved knife sort of thing Mm -hmm. and you curve out you carve out the outline so that you can roll ink over the shape and then put it on paper and then it'll like a lot of old japanese woodblock printing it's the same thing but you can use linoleum and rubber if you're a beginner and it's easier i have actually enjoyed that a few times i find it very meditative i haven't done it recently it does sound but it is cool and it is unique and I made yeah. a Trico my first time. So are you essentially like creating your own stamp? Yeah. Yeah. It is in fact like okay. that. That is a good description. You're creating your own stamp. Huh. And it's that does sound like it would be very meditative, actually. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Also, puzzles are cool, but woodblock carving or linoleum or rubber, they're pretty cool. Most craft fairs should have a section for it. Craft shops, not fairs. Maybe they'd have it too. I don't know. Maybe Ferris too. Who knows? I don't know why, but that just reminded me of like Legos. Oh yeah, yeah. Legos. That would are also good. be like a fun meditative thing to do. But you got to go buy Legos. Petting cats. That's a that's a good one. Hang out at a cat cafe. Dude, every every night when I sit on the couch, the cat's like, "It's time," and yeah. she decides to use me as a chair. So it's a pretty yeah, solid that hobby. That happens every day. I don't know if I would call that a, ho- a hobby. Cat chair. <laughs> it reminds me of, there's like a really old, old episode of Listen Money Matters from when Matt and Andrew were the co-hosts. <laughs> They're like talking about hobbies and Andrew's like, I I don't have any hobbies. I just like doing business. You know, I just like building websites and Matt's like, that's not a, that's not a hobby. And Andrew's like, well, I don't know, like being a drunk. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> that's not, I don't recommend that's that not a hobby. hobby either. <laughs> I don't recommend. I don't think that that's a hobby. Uh, try block carving instead. That sounds like a better one. Read in the pool. <laughs> Sometimes Anna, it's like one of the things for the podcast. Anna and I will still bring up and just make jokes about every once in a while. <laughs> My favorite hobby is a uh, being a drunk. Yes, I think Andrew's only hobby is just building businesses and coding. <laughs> Fair if it works. But yes, th- th- I think those are our things. Um, yeah, I would love to list like a thousand cool things and seem like a billionaire playboy philanthropist. But yeah, I mean, books and video games are things I actually do. And other than that, I do a lot of work and spend a lot of time not alone. So pretty much comes down to cycling and weightlifting and tennis. It's kind of it right now. Yeah. Not super duper exciting, but yeah, hopefully this episode was useful. Um, again, I, I do recommend reading the book. It's super short and it's very thought provoking. At least it was very thought provoking for me and apparently for you as well. So as always, thank you so much for hanging out with, with us. 
hanging out for us, hanging out with us. Uh, the show notes for this episode, which are going to be useful because we did say we'd link to a few things. Hopefully we'll be able to find that cool website where you get paired up with someone to work with. Oh, wait, I think it just came to my mind. Let me check it. Yes, it's called Focusmate. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Focusmate.com. That's the one. That's, that's what it cool. is. Yep. Three free sessions per week on the free plan. And you literally just get paired up with somebody for a, it looks like a 50 minute session. And then you just do work. Um, now this is, this is useful. I will say that you can basically do the exact same thing in discord for free, free, like as much as you want. Um, there are, I've seen people like making discord servers literally just for productivity. Like, Hey, I'm just setting up a voice chat where we get in there and work. That's it. So if you want to find one, I would recommend going over to our subreddit, which is still uh, reddit.com slash r slash college info geek and making a post. That seems like a pretty easy way to do it. And there's a whole lot of other people there who would probably be into that kind of thing. The Habitica Guild for CIG is also a decent place for it. I often see people wanting to form accountability groups in there, given that it's a whole app around accountability. So check those out. We'll have those in the show notes. And the show notes are going to be over at theinforium.com slash 300 and nope, not nope. theinforium.com slash 24. That's the one. I always confuse myself because we didn't stop. We didn't restart uh, the numbering system for our internal system. It we is, just changed the true. name of the podcast, but then we made a new website. So theinforium.com slash 24, which is technically our 324th episode. And the we've been doing this for a long time. And the penultimate episode, 325th episode comes out in two weeks. So as always, thanks for hanging out. We'll see you in that episode. Until then, stay cute.